Welcome to the New Freedom Church podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Turn with me today to the book of Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. And during this series, we're exploring uh, the person and the workings of God, the Holy Spirit. This is what we know as the third person of the Trinity. It not nearly well as known as maybe God the Father, which we see all throughout the Old Testament, or God the Son, which we see in Jesus. We're going to read some of Jesus' words here in just a moment. But Holy Spirit manifestation is most often associated with God being present. And the word of the year for New Freedom Church in 2023 is presence. And usually when we think about God being present, it's because something was noticeable, something was tangible or experiential that takes place either in a service, in a small group, it could even be individually, something takes place that you feel or you sense that God was near, that God was present, that God is real. And the Bible describes three aspects of experiencing God's presence or experiencing the Spirit. I want them to put up that, that graphic, that slide, because there are three, uh, I would say, running in a circular motion, three ways that the Scriptures talk to us about experiencing God's presence. So first is the way of Jesus. These are d- the disciplines. The disciplines are the things which we observe in Jesus' life that he did and that he encouraged his followers to do. And by extension, we as disciples of Jesus are encouraged to do these things, which leads into the fruit of the Spirit. Now, usually when we do a series on the Holy Spirit, we really want to get to that that, uh, exciting part and the the gifts of the Spirit. How many want to get to that exciting part? Uh, We'll get there. We're going to get to the gifts of the Spirit. But we first must lay a foundation and look at how that the disciplines or what I would call the way of Jesus. We don't like the word discipline very much in in our vernacular, in our society. But the disciplines of Jesus make the foundational bedrock by which the fruit and the gifts are displayed. So let's look at a list of some disciplines. What do the disciplines of the scripture look like? Well, they're things like Christian meditation. Not just any kind of meditation because there's transcendental meditation, there's uh, new age meditation, there's all kinds of meditation, but meditation in a heart direction toward the creator God. This is Christian meditation. How about this one? How many would like a little more simplicity in your life? (laughs) I would like a little more simplicity every now and then. This is a Christian discipline. If you read the words of Jesus, if you look at the life of Jesus, you will see an amazing simplicity to his life. Corporate worship, time and again, you can read throughout the New Testament, you can find that it says, on the Sabbath day, as it was accustomed to be, Jesus went into the temple with his disciples. So corporate worship is important. What we are doing here, both in person and online today, this is corporate worship. Prayer, solitude, guidance, fasting. Here's another one we don't like in our culture. Submission. (laughs) Submission. That means submitting to God. Celebration. That's also an aspect that we do in our corporate worship, but we do this in our lives. We we do this in, in our Sabbath times. We celebrate all that God has made and all that God has done and what he has blessed us with. Study, which is reading of the word of God, consuming, digesting, looking into the looking glass of this word so it looks back and it speaks to our hearts. Confession, 
The Bible tells us that confession is good for our souls and that we are to pray for one another. We are to confess. There are things that you need to confess with one another and unto God. These are confession. These are are, uh, disciplines. And then silence. Silence is at a premium in our day, isn't it? When was the last time that you truly just allowed the sounds of nature to permeate your your, 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 your mind? No voices, but just the sounds of nature, silence, sitting in solitude and silence. These are Christian disciplines. These are the way of Jesus. But then there's another list, and we can find these uh, all listed in, in Scripture. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. In other words, there's no limit no law, laws are, are limits upon something. There is no nicely woven limit against these kinds of things. You can have as much love, as much joy, as much peace, as much long-suffering as you possibly can, can endure. These are things that God has given to us as fruit of the Spirit. And then we also have a list, and I'll, I'll have them put that up there, and you can look at these because we're going to see these over the next couple of weeks, of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, without the disciplines of the Spirit, without the fruit of the Spirit, then the gifts of the Spirit are really not very much good. In fact, the Bible tells us that if you operate in a gifting, uh, let's just think about it. What is a gift? Is it something that you earn? Is it something you deserve? Is it something that you worked for? A gift is something freely bestowed upon you. So we should not be nearly as impressed with people operating in something freely given to them as we should those things which are woven into the character of their lives. Because you can see people who are very gifted and they may not have the character to sustain that gifting in the places that it takes them for very long. But if you have the disciplines, then they will lead to the fruit. And then operating in the giftedness, those freely given, bestowed upon us by God things, then they all edify and build up the church. And there are a list of 22 that I gave them. Some would say there's, there's 21 gifts of the Spirit. We can see that, that there's nine uh, gifts of the Spirit listed to us in 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about particularly those. But uh, there are many, many more gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows than what are just simply written in the New Testament. I believe that salvation is the chief gift of the Holy Spirit. Can anybody say amen? Somebody says, well, pastor, I don't have any gifts of God. I, God hasn't given me any gifts to work with. Well, are you saved? Then you have a gift. You, you have a gift of salvation. So every one of us have at least a gift to use in the kingdom of God. And somebody says, well, how do I use the gift of salvation? You open up your mouth and you tell someone about what God has done for you. You know what? You just became an evangelist as well. Okay, so now we have two gifts. So we have these gifts, but there are other things that we need to to focus on before we get to the gifts. Did you know that in the Bible, the word Christian occurs three times, but the word disciple is found 269 times? Somebody look at your neighbor and say, that must be pretty important. Disciple, 269 times. Let's look at Jesus' words, Matthew 28. How many believe that the last words someone says are probably going to be pretty important? These are some of the last words that Jesus left to his disciples. Matthew 28 and 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make, everybody say it with me, 
Disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There we've got the, the Trinity of God. I just told you in the, in the Old Testament we see a lot about the, the, the Father God, in the New Testament through life of Jesus about the Son, but then in the entirety of Scripture we can find, if we know what we're seeing and looking for, the Spirit of God working, this triune God, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them, that is a spiritual gift, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Everybody say it with me, amen. That means even so. But the word that I want us to focus on and look at here is the word disciple. Jesus told us that we are to go out and to make disciples. He did not tell us to go out and create converts, to create confessors, to get people to, to pray a prayer because he said you are to go out and to make disciples. And the word disciple, if you break it down and look at it, what it actually means is a disciplined one. A disciplined one. What are the disciplines? We just looked at those. There's a whole list of disciplines you can find from the scripture. Look at John 13 and 35. I like this one. It says, by this all will know that you are my what? disciples. How are people to know that you are a disciple of Jesus? Is it because you go to church on Sunday? Well, maybe that is one indicator. Is it because you pay your taxes? Is it because you're a good citizen and you vote every time that there's an election? Is it because you obey the laws of the land? How is it that people will know that you belong to Jesus? He gives us one marker. By the love that you have for another. Now, you don't have to like me to go to heaven, but you must love me. You, the world will know that you are Jesus' disciples, that you belong to him, that you are the disciplined ones of Jesus because of the love that you have one for another, starting in and around the household of faith. This is why you've got to be very careful someone starting gossiping in your ear and starting telling you something about other people. Because if it's not done out of an effort of love, and there's a whole lot of things in church circles that are baptized in prayer. I just got to tell you this prayer request I've got. Well, be careful with prayer requests. Sometimes they're gossip requests. I got to tell you, well, you need to be careful with what you're hearing. If someone is not operating in love, then they're not being a good disciple of Jesus. They're not even really bearing the fruit of the Spirit. But by this, they will know that you are Jesus' disciples with the love that you have for one another. Loving and liking may be two different things. Loving truly is hoping for the best in that other person. There are some people, come on, there's some people in your own family, you love them, but there's a reason you live a thousand miles away from them. <laughs> you love them really good from a distance, <laughs> but when Thanksgiving rolls around, you really just, oh, we better, we got to suit up for this one. We got to pray up for this one. Now that, the loving, we, we equate loving and liking as the same thing. Love comes from a whole different source. It is the love of God that compels us. And everybody wants to get to, to the spiritual gifts part, but we have to get to the foundation. We have to get to the disciplines because they lay for us the ordering of how that we are to do our lives as human beings so that we can have fruit and there are gifts that bear in our lives. Uh, the question we have to ask ourselves continuously, church, is are we making much of Jesus 
or are we making much of ourselves? I, I like what uh, John Thompson said in his book, Convergence. And this is a book about uh, how he led a very, um, uh, I guess you say legacy church. I think it was 120 years old when he began pastoring it in Canada. Uh, how he led that church, very conservative, kind of uh, maybe staunch and a little uptight. He led that church over a period of years into the operations of the disciplines, the fruit, and then the gifts of the Spirit, which was something that was very foreign to that church. They had never really operated or seen the gifts of the Spirit. But he says this, he says, For the last several decades, the church of the West, we have not been very good at making discipleship a condition for being a Christian. One is not required to be or intended to be a disciple in order to become a Christian through many Western methods. And they may remain a Christian without any signs toward progress in discipleship. This is contrary to what Jesus said. Jesus said that we are to go out and to make disciples. And what, what's he talking about here? Is that we have really uh, kind of honed a system of, of conversion in our country, in our Western mindset. That if we simply can read people a couple of lines, walk them through the Romans road, if we can get them to the point of praying a prayer... Then they're saved, they're on their way to heaven. It doesn't matter if they ever don the doors of our church, if they ever fellowship with other saints, if they ever love people, if they ever show any fruit, it doesn't matter. We notch them down as a mark on the belt that we have a convert. See, Jesus never told us to go out and make converts. Many times the effort of doing such a thing is, is no, no different really than just like praying an incantation through other types of rituals. I worked in the car business before I got into ministry, and it was a wonderful 11 years of, of just learning human nature. It was, it was great. Learned business, learned, learned lots of things. But I'll never forget that we had this one particular salesman that he was really good at, like, coming in for the close. You know what the close is? It's how you close the deal. He was one of our best salespeople. And I remember him walking up to one of the most ungodly, riotous guys that was on our staff at the time. He wasn't with us very long, but this guy, you just knew that his life was not Christian at all. And he looked at him one day with conviction, and he said, if you died today, do you know that you would go to heaven? And the guy's like, no, man, I think I'd probably go to hell. I mean, he was really honest. And he said, well, then you just need to pray this prayer with me without any kind of context, without any kind of like witnessing up to it. And he just, he, he prayed the sinner's prayer, which by the way, uh, you can't find the sinner's prayer in the Bible. It's like not in there. But he, he prayed a prayer that we say is a sinner's prayer. Basically, coming to Jesus, you need to repent of your sin, confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and you shall be saved. Like that, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. That, that's, what, that's what it is. So he basically said something like this. I remember I was standing in the hallway watching this. A young uh, recent graduate of Bible college, I was impressed with this man's conviction. I was impressed with his tenacity to pray such a bold prayer with this heathenly, ungodly un man. But here's the problem. That man prayed that prayer. As soon as he opened his eyes, he looked back at this guy that prayed with him and said, is that it? Is that all I need to do? I'm on my way to heaven. Great, let's party, man. There was no more an intention of following God in that guy's heart than there was to do anything else following that. There was nothing about his heart that was really drawn and convicted of the Spirit. It was just simply praying words, saying, saying words. He was making a verbal confession of something that he had never believed in his heart. See, a disciple won't do that. When you are disciplined, when you're a disciplined one of God, there is something that is woven into the solitude, the prayer, the study, 
the silence, the confession. There's something about it that just draws you deeper and deeper into the things of God. And they, they form the bedrock of all the fruit and the gifts that are yet to follow. So let's see how Jesus was empowered for ministry. Jesus was not empowered for ministry simply by giftings. Jesus was empowered for ministry in a couple of different ways. And we see this first in John chapter 5 and verse 19. Then Jesus answered them and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. They're, they're always asking Jesus and trying to get him to do miracles and perform signs and do wonders. And Jesus is really always kind of resisting that grandiose show of, and, and the effect of, of outward displays. And he said, listen, I don't do these things on my own authority. I can't do anything of myself. But what I see the Father do, whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So how did Jesus prepare for spiritual endowment and power. How did Jesus prepare for ministry? First of all, Jesus prepared for ministry for 30 years before he ever got a 10% of his life ministry, three years, three and a half years. There was 30 years of foundational building, of disciplines being done in Jesus' life, of learning, of instruction, of teaching, of training, of discipleship, of prayer. There was all of this, this depth that was going down deep into the earth. Disciplines are like the foundation whereby the building of the fruit and gifts get built upon. Disciplines of the Lord are like the sun and the rain and the soil that the seed gets set in so that it has an opportunity to be fruitful. And so Jesus said, listen, I can't just go out here on my own authority and dream up a bunch of great things I'd like to do. I only do what I see the Father doing. And I only say what I hear the Father saying. Which should beg the question in our modern reader mind, okay... When did Jesus hear the Father saying these things? Where did Jesus see the Father doing these things? Well, oftentimes as they would press in for Jesus to come out and to parade out and to do these great things, they couldn't find him. Where's Jesus? Doesn't he know that the crowd is pressing in? Doesn't he know that everybody wants to see miracles? Where's Jesus? The disciples were asking. And then one of them would find him. Where is he? He's off by himself in solitude, in prayer, in fasting, in commitment, and he's seeing a vision of heaven. He's seeing what the Father is doing. He's hearing from the Father. Do you know when you hear from God? Anytime you open up your spiritual ear to hear from God. You don't have to be in a quiet place to hear from God, but oftentimes I find that when I settle my soul and I turn off the noise, then I can more attune my spiritual ear to God. But there are some amazing times where it can be blaringly loud in an environment and you on the inside can get a premonition, can get a prompting, can get something on the inside and it's not just the natural you, but there's something in there saying, you better leave this environment. There's something saying, there is someone right now in need, you need to pray. There is something on the inside that will we'll speak up with, that's because the Spirit of God now lives in you. And the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, and therefore you can hear from God at any time. But when the disciples were looking for Jesus, they found him when he was resting, when he was praying, when he was in times of solitude, when he withdrew from the crowd. And he said, I won't do anything unless I see my Father doing it. I won't say anything unless I hear my Father saying it. So it was times in discipline that Jesus was receiving this, this pacing from, the, from his Father. John 14 and 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. What are, what are the works? The deaf could hear, the blind could see, 
the lame could walk, the miraculous signs and wonders. Jesus is saying, listen, none of this is out of the scope of possibility if you believe in me. In fact, he said, these signs you'll do and greater works. What does he mean, greater works? Well, greater intensity, greater in, in scope, in, in, uh, in scale, greater in scale. There's, there's more available uh, to do because he was just one individual on earth at the time and the spirit was, was dwelling and resting upon him. And so these works are being done. And he says this, the, the greater works you'll do because I go to my father. Verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. When it comes to the greater works, who is designed to get the glory? The workman? The person laying hands on them? Everybody's got to go to this person's crusade. They're there, the healer, and they can get the healing. They're closer to God. No, he said that my father may be glorified. Now, there's nothing wrong with having uh, an affinity for certain teachers or or, uh, Bible areas of study. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have to load up in your car and go hundreds of miles away in order to get a touch from God, there is something wrong with that. Then your faith is more in that person, and that person has something that somehow you don't think that you can possess or that that you can uh, uh, get close to. But he said that if he would go to the Father, he would send us another helper. Watch this. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. How are we known that we are believers? Through the love we have for one another. Jesus bases love as a foundational point by which we will keep the commandments because we love him. And I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Let's all say that together. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him, nor does it know him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. You need to remember that when we get to the day of Pentecost here next week. We're going to talk about how this this, uh, spirit descending and coming down and, and resting on Jesus, working through the life of Jesus, and then as he makes it back to the Father, he said, I'll send you another helper And now he said, the spirit dwells with you, so it's in your presence, but will be in you. So there is a change in location, locale. Jesus was helping the 12 disciples, but he was going to the Father. And so what would happen when Jesus leaves? This was the big concern the disciples had, what's going to happen? Jesus goes. But by his death and resurrection, that would allow the Holy Spirit to come in full effect and to take up residence on the inside. The book of Acts opens in dramatic fashion. We see the ascension of Jesus, some vital instructions that he leaves, go and tarry, go wait. Waiting, tarrying is a spiritual discipline. How many just like to wait? Come on, raise your hand. You like to wait on things. Put me in line. If you're like me, I am the worst line picker in the world because I don't like to wait. And whatever line I pick is the one I end up waiting in. And I know that God is just like laughing at me about this. You know, I'm hedging my bet. I'm one of these at the grocery store. I kind of wade in between two lines. And I'll watch the one that's going fastest. And just as soon as someone makes a break to that register, come on. Some of you know exactly what I, I people watch at Kroger. I watch some of you from the aisle. You don't know it. I'm really dodging you so that we don't have, no, 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 no. 
Come on, I know. I know, you, you're like, you wait. No, we don't like to wait. But Jesus left these great instructions. He said, go and wait in Jerusalem until the promise. I can't wait to get there next week. Wait until the promise. We're going to talk about what this promise actually is. But all 120 disciples at the day of Pentecost were doing something. They were in the upper room, spiritually disciplined. First of all, you've got 120 people waiting together. I don't see that there was any food I mean, what kind of church is this with no food, right? And they weren't arguing, they weren't bickering, they weren't complaining. They were simply waiting on the promise. They were following the instructions. They were being taught. They were engaging in prayer and confession and submission. And then the Spirit fell on Pentecost, and look what resulted. They were all filled, and they spoke with other tongues. They left the comfort of that room And they went out and witnessed. So they left the church walls. They were in a room. They left the church walls and they began to tell other people about what God had done for them. This is Christian witness. You don't have to be particularly spiritually gifted to tell someone what God has done for you. It's your testimony. Tell them. What has God done for you? You don't have to know the Romans road, the four spiritual laws, and a whole bunch of Bible verses simply to tell somebody, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, now I'm found. Like, how hard is that, right? But the enemy will come and try to convince us, oh, you don't have a testimony. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Just keep your mouth shut. Tell others and proclaim and publish what God has done for you. That's what they did. And you know what happened? Signs and wonders began to manifest because they simply obeyed the instruction. Many hearts and lives would change. And, and, And we would even say that there was a revival that took place that day, the day of Pentecost. Over 2,000 added to the church in one day. Some would say that's a revival, but actually it's more. Because a renewal is when God touches the heart of a single individual. And I think that this can happen through many seasons, many times of our life. We can have a renewal with God. We can go through some dry spells. Anybody ever been through a dry spell? Anybody ever just been through a place where you wonder, are the heavens brass? God, do you even hear So when God warms your heart, this is a renewal that takes place individually. And by that, what happens is when multiple people start to get renewed and then in a faith community kind of like this, that there is something that rises of faith on the inside and many people start to be touched, then a revival happens. And then, like on the day of Pentecost, it was way more than a revival. It was an awakening. On the day of Pentecost, we saw an awakening. There has been in America two great awakenings in the last 300 years. And I pray and I desire and I hope and I really earnestly feel that there is another great awakening burgeoning in our country. That revival crops up here and it crops up there. There's little spaces, little time. It kind of comes and goes. It's in these waves. But an awakening is undeniably a move of God in a land that is so big that no one person can lay claim to it. No one person can say, yeah, that started in my church. No, God doesn't care whether you get to take credit for it because there's only one person that gets glorified. Who is it? That the Father might be glorified. That's the most important part. So as we really contemplate in our hearts today, as we prayerfully consider, God, what are you doing in the midst of your church today? What are you doing in my life? I really want us to take an inventory this morning as we close. I want us to take an inventory of spiritual disciplines. The fruit is great. The gifts are wonderful. 
But how about those disciples? Are we becoming disciples of Jesus? Are we operating and practicing the way of Jesus, the spiritual disciplines? Prayer, confession, solitude, silence. Discipline unto the Lord. Putting our lives on the template of God's word. And saying, God, measure me. Search me and find me. And know if there is any wicked way in me. Purge me, O Lord, as with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be white as snow. Repentance is the key to renewal. Peter said it like this. He said, repent, therefore, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. With heads bowed and no one looking around, just between you and God today. Are you in this place and you need to confess? You need to repent. You need to turn something over to God. If that's you, these altars are open. They're going to come and sing, but these altars are open right now for prayer. We're going to give you an opportunity to come right up here, and someone will be glad to stand and pray with you. Maybe there's something in your life that has been a trouble spot. It's been a hard thing to deal with recently, and you just need a prayer partner to come alongside you, to encourage you. We have elders. We have deacons. They would love to come and pray with you. We have a loving faith community here ready to wrap their arms around you to help you to grow in your Christian walk. God, I thank you for every person that has come to this place and those who are watching us online. I thank you for every hearer of the word. God, we want to receive from you today. We heighten our anticipation. We lift our spiritual antennas up. We listen, Lord, with a hearing ear to hear what the Spirit has to say. Speak, Lord. Lord, we want to be the kind of people that recognize when you're real, when you're present, when you're in our midst. We don't want to miss a move. So therefore, we repent, we pray, we confess. We lay our lives down and say, God, you raise it up. We will pick up our feet and you will show us where to go. For you are the author of life. Jesus, we receive Jesus, we receive.